on, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of the Reaching and Teaching Podcast presented by CEI. I'm your host, Robinson. I'm obviously joined by my co-host, Johnny. And today, we got another edition of Career Day here at CEI Esports. And we got a special edition, our first female guest on the podcast. We have Miss Stephanie or me from Emmanuel College. How's it going? Let's go, let's go, let's go. Clap it up for the first female guest on the show, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. Hello. Well, I had no idea, so I'm very honored. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we tried for a full disclosure. We tried getting we tried getting Stephanie way back like when the pandemic first did. We were at the college, the CEX College Esports Expo. She spoke at it. We really liked what she had to offer. We was like, hey, we gotta get her for our first uh guests on the podcast but a lot of things were happening so we couldn't make it happen so but glad that we were still making it happen today so let's get started you currently i i did some research on your uh on your on your website you said you currently serve as the chair of game studies division you're a professor in video games at emmanuel college and you work as the founding board member at esports research network that's a lot <laughs> it is a lot tell me about it <laughs> <laughs> explain explain your roles and, uh, and what do you do on a regular on a daily basis yeah absolutely um so the easiest one, I guess, actually the one I do like for a living is uh, as a professor at Emmanuel College in Boston. And uh, this is my first full year as faculty there, really enjoying it so far. And I was primarily brought in to bring uh, some game studies expertise, which we had not previously had on the faculty uh, to our communication program. So that's been really fun. I got to teach a, a course on video games in the fall, which I was super jazzed about. Um, so that's been really awesome. Uh, and then as far as uh, NCA, so that's the National Communication Association, that's one of our premier research organizations in the field, the academic field of communication studies. Um, we have a game studies division, so that's uh, basically a group of, of game studies researchers grounded in the communication discipline. Um, I was, as of December, so I've now uh, kind of moved on, but I was the chair of the game studies division. Um, I am now forget the title, but it's like outgoing chair, basically. Um, so serving serving kind of my final year in an advisory capacity. But for the last few years, I have um, been in charge of overseeing that division, recruiting members. Uh, the big part of that was organizing our big conference uh, that happens every year. Um, and this past year, it was a virtual conference like many people had. So that was, uh, you know, came with some interesting challenges, but ended up, you know, working out. Uh, and then the Esports Research Network uh, is a newish organization founded in Germany. And this is essentially an international group of uh, esports scholars, so people who research esports, as well as increasingly some esports uh, industry practitioners, coaches, support staff, whatnot, whatnot uh, who have banded together and formed this sort of association or this network where we, you know, make contacts with one another, help each other with research. And basically our, our aims there are to uh, take what we're doing in, in classrooms and in publications and try and translate some of that over into the industry uh, to, to help make esports sustainable, diverse, right, and a number of other projects. So, um, so yeah, I'm currently the, the token North American representative <laughs> on the, uh, the board of of directors or the executive board for that, um, which has been really fun. But it means that whenever we host uh, big meetings, uh, we do everything on European time. So I'm usually there for a 7 a.m. meeting. We have a guy in Australia, so it's like 10 p.m. where he is. <laughs> so it's it's kind of it's kind of funny that way. But no, it's it's been a blast. But yes, yeah, certainly uh, certainly keeping busy. <laughs> I think it's safe to say 
Johnny, correct me if I'm wrong here. You're all in on the esports world. Like, there's <laughs> about it. You're all in. Like, this is your life. Just how did? Just talk about how did you get into video games and esports in the first place? Oh man, yeah. No, it's um, it's definitely like gaming as a whole is a huge part of my life. Um, I literally played video games since I was about four years old. There's there's photos of me playing on a system <laughs> with my dad when I was a kid, and so gaming has just it's always been a hobby of mine. Uh, and it wasn't something I realized I could do as a career, actually, until uh, I was doing my master's degree uh, at, at Suffolk University in Boston. And while I was there, I, uh, I took a class with somebody. I knew I wanted to go get a PhD and I wanted to study communication. I didn't really know what specifically. And I, I met a woman there. Her name was Nina Hunteman. Um, now she works at MIT, but she was a professor there and she researched video games. And when she introduced herself in class, I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> like, hold the phone. That is the coolest thing I've ever heard. I didn't know that was an option. I need to know more, right? And so, you know, we had conversations about that. Um, I, I realized there was a whole group of people who research video games for a living as academics, and, and that was a thing that I could do. And I was like, that's perfect. Like, I want to go to grad school. I love games. Um, I think there's, you know, there's so much interesting stuff there, you know, that we can get into with, like, how games affect people and and what goes into the development process. And so long story short, that's kind of how I ended up um, doing that. The esports stuff um, started to come about, uh, I'd say when I was a, a grad student at Penn State where I was doing my uh, doctoral studies and I was teaching a, a gaming class there of 120 students. And um, a bunch of my students in that class were really interested in competitive gaming and they had started an esports club and uh, we're looking for some some faculty, you know, oversight, things like that, right? So I got really involved in uh, their, their project as a club uh, and sort of an advisory role and just kind of uh, lending assistance to them. And, uh, and again, I'd always been a fan of games like League of Legends and other esports titles. So uh, it just kind of fell into place. Like students kind of were looking for somebody to help them out. And then I was like, well, I'm really passionate about these things. So like, let's make it happen, right? And then every school I've kind of hopped to, they're like, you know esports, please come help us do this thing. So now it's like forever what I'm locked into. <laughs> That's kind of like us. I mean, like we kind of travel around and like, we're just like known as like the esports guys. Like when you know esports, right? So like, help us, what is this? Like, what is this world? How can we like get involved? Or how can we learn like what this is all about? And fortunately for us, I mean, like myself and Rob, we've both been fans as, as well as you of video games our entire lives. Like, so various titles and and for us, it's, it's more of like a, well, this is something we've known our whole lives. So like, we have no like clue. It's such like a foreign thing for so many people out there, but it's so cool to see that you've been able to transition from just an interest in college and then now like teaching a class of 120 students and now being on the board and actually having a vital, vital role in supporting the growth of the industry and uh, video games in general. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so why did you want to like teach about video games, esports, and streaming? Like what made it like, like, why did you want to do that? And like, what makes it so important? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think, again, just personally, you know, I love games. Um, and so I've always seen the value in them as storytelling devices and as a form of media that I think has a unique way of allowing us to connect to other people, to kind of shared experiences through stories. Um, as someone who's a, a media researcher, right, I'm just really interested in the way that different technology um, can, can help us connect to each other, right? And how does it shape our perspectives on society and on each other? And, you know, video games just strike me as a, as a particularly fascinating medium because of interactivity, right? Multiplayer, 
uh, you know, components and things like that, right? So there, it's such a rich, a rich environment, right? To really kind of sink your teeth into that kind of material. Mm -hmm. um, that and I, and I think, you know, one of the great things about it is that students have a really healthy interest in it. So students come to these classes and I won't say they're always gamers because a lot of times, like sometimes they're not, which is really fun actually. But I get like two things, right? So I get students who come in and they're like, sick, I'm going to take a class on games. It's going to be awesome, <laughs> right? And that's really fun because they're really excited. They're really mm -hmm. enthusiastic. They have great insights to offer. Um, but then I often will get students who are like, I don't know, I needed a class. My advisor told me to take this. I've never played a video <laughs> game before, right? And I'm like, I'm so glad you're here. Like, seriously, because mm -hmm. um, I think people who, who don't play games or, or don't play many games and wouldn't at least consider themselves gamers uh, bring such an interesting perspective to that class. Yes. They ask a lot of questions that get taken for granted by people who like us, right, who've grown up with it. So I think it's it's really awesome to have those two different kinds of students meet in one space, and the conversations we have are, are really really great, right? So yeah, I think it's I think it's an important medium. Um, I think you know there's there's a lot politically we could get into, but I think there's a lot at stake with gaming culture, right? I'm really interested too in like how players um, experience whatever you know, this thing gaming culture that we talk about, right? Like what are the, the ways that gender and, and race and identity, you know, change how people experience that culture? Because I also think it's unique from how, um, you know, watching films and, and even reading books to some degree work, right? Yeah, and one, one thing I, we, we, we talked to Kurt Melcher last week, he was also at the college expo that you were at. And one of, one of the things that we talked about is like the skeptics out there, like when you say, hey, I'm gonna teach about video games, there's gonna be those traditionalists that were around before esports and like, how is that gonna benefit my kid? How about video games? Why should he learn about it? Like, did you run into people that were skeptical and like, and wanna know why is it so beneficial? And like, what was your response to them? Yeah, I think it's really funny because I've worked with a, a few different schools in the Boston area in the last few years that have introduced gaming curriculum. And whenever they do like, um, family weekends or like campus tours right there's like all right we got a kid over there who's interested in games and their parents are here like where's stuff right get her get her <laughs> and I, I literally you know I, I would get dragged over and be like tell them why esports are valuable right so i've i've given this pitch you know so many times right um and and it's because i believe in it right so um you know, my answer to these these skeptics, right? And I don't even think it's a negative thing, right? It's parents who want their kids to mm -hmm. have career prospects when they leave, right? That's not a bad thing. So yeah. totally no judgment there. Um, but yeah, what I say is, is you know, yeah, it's a video gaming class, but this, in terms of fears that your kid is just going to college, you know, just to play video games or whatever, um, there's so much more to it than that, right? And specifically with esports, you know, in courses I've, I've taught, you know, whether it's an introduction to how the industry is working or a streaming class or whatever it is we're doing, you know, I like to emphasize the, the multifaceted nature of that industry and how many roles directly translate from some of the classes they're taking, right? So, um, you know, just as an example, um, I had taught in the past a, a class on live streaming and we actually, um, you know, started looking at popular Twitch channels. You know, that was kind of the platform we, we zeroed in on. Um, you know, students had to make budgets, like what would a, a professional streamer's budget 
constraints kind of look like, right? What can you do with certain kinds of tools and resources? And then they actually live streamed as part of the course. So they actually learned about, you know, self-branding, setting up channels, uh, how to monetize channels, how to market themselves, right? And actually just got first hands-on streaming experience. And I think like maybe one student in the class, you know, had some streaming experience prior and even wanted to go on streaming afterwards. But one of the things that I really made sure to do was to talk about, yeah, we're talking about, you know, streaming games, or whatever in here, but this applies to so many other skill sets, yeah. right? And even other things that you can stream, you know, there's these beauty streamers and, and you know, cooking streamers, all kinds of stuff, right? Um, but, you know, with those students in particular, we talked a lot about just broadcast and production skills that can translate uh, across different industries, right? So, you know, it's great. Like you, this is training if you want to go into streaming or some kind of esports production role, but there's countless other broadcast and media tie-ins as well, right? So that's like one example of, of how I explain, you know, taking uh, the learning outcomes from these classes and kind of expanding them into a broader picture, right? And I think that really, that seems to assuage a lot of uh, people's concerns, parents specifically. <laughs> Yeah, I think it definitely creates awareness, right? I think the awareness of the fact that, hey, you're you're not just playing the game just to play the game, you're building a brand almost, right? And so I think for many parents, they would not be opposed to the sons or daughters being entrepreneurs and like actually building their brands out and actually having a whole network of people that will follow them and they can build merchandise from that and those are the things. So I think you actually tapping into that side of the gaming culture and the gaming industry and showing these kids how in, 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 in ways to monetize themselves, how to properly broadcast, whether it's a beauty product, whether it's a game, like that form of content is what's kind of the new age of reaching uh, your, your audience. And so I think that's super important, especially for our kids who are listening, who are trying to venture out into different career paths. I think seeing something like that is actually really, really enticing. So that's really, really cool. That you're able well, to kind of teach a class on that. I wish I had that in college. <laughs> me, that would have been really, really cool. I know. Beneficial for me now. But uh, I'm so happy that the next wave of kids and generations of kids are actually kind of getting that uh, mentorship because I think it's really valuable. Well, I think to your point too, Johnny, like about, you know, this is sort of the new wave of a mm -hmm. lot of commerce, right? And like influencers love or hate the idea. Like this is how contemporary marketing is happening, right? And I get like parents, you know, who didn't grow up with that. Like I didn't even grow up with that, right? It was kind of weird yeah. to me at first, but I think it's one of those things like you choose to either embrace it and jump ship, right? Or, or jump <laughs> on the ship, right? Or like, you know, you're gonna pass on it and maybe miss miss some opportunities, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, I think, I think again, it just comes down to kind of connecting those dots for people and showing them examples of people who, who are doing this, right? And who are being successful. Yeah, I think that, I think that's a phenomenal point. Like you gotta make sure that, hey, this is beneficial and you could actually buy into this and you don't miss out on those opportunities. Like me and Johnny, we were, uh, I, we talk about this all the time. There was a video game club in our school. It was literally just for fun. I was playing rock band Beatles, killing it, but I wasn't <laughs> for it for me. So I was just like, all right, so there's that. But uh, <laughs> you, you teach some, uh, you, you talked about some of the courses you teach like stream industry, the games, explain some of the, like the, those courses and how did you end up getting the opportunity to have those courses? <laughs> yeah, a lot of times um, it's been schools wanted to offer gaming courses and I am the gaming person. <laughs> this is honestly how that happens, right? Um, which is awesome. I love it. I love I love that being my reputation, actually. Um, no, so it, um, I had previously taught, for example, at Emerson College, also in Boston. And um, there I worked a lot with uh, Kevin Mitchell, who you 
probably remember. Yes. 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 Kevin. Shout out to Kevin. Big fan of the podcast. Kevin's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Such a sweetheart. And uh, so that was really his baby, right, at Emerson. And um, I was just kind of there at the time. I was um, finishing my PhD, so I was teaching part time while writing a dissertation and all that. And um, he, I had taught at Emerson years ago and kind of come back. And he, through the grapevine, like heard about me and my research and was like, "You, oh my God, you need to come here and like help me with this esports curriculum and stuff, right? So that was how I, I got kind of signed on with that. Um, and then I was teaching again at, at a couple different schools in the area, like a class here or there. And then people just find out that that's like what you do, right? And uh, <laughs> we're in this interesting era in which so many colleges and high schools in the US uh, are developing esports curriculum. So they're all like looking for people who have expertise in this area. And it's it's new enough that that's still kind of in demands, right? There's not, mm-hmm. I won't say like there's not a ton of people because there are, you just have to know where they are and, and have access to them and those sorts, sorts of things, right? But um, yeah, for me, it was it was like timing and luck in a lot of cases, right? I was just, I happened to be the person there at the right time. And so they were like, teach this class right I'm like, that sounds awesome absolutely <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> right place right time i respect it sometimes that's just just the way how it is uh, so what what are the what are what are the unique th- things that students have to have done in their courses like what what are some cool things that like you remember that you take away like wow that's some cool stories yeah yeah since yeah. you've seen and what have they yeah. taken away with it as as uh, time has gone on as well yeah well, I'll start with the streaming class because that is one of my favorites. And I think that was one of the, the neatest, most unique experiences I've also had as an instructor. Um, you know, and with that class, I students could stream games, but I also opened it up for them to stream about other things. Um, and that, you know, that course required a lot of flexibility on my part because I had kids who just had MacBooks, which are, <laughs> for the record, not great for playing video games. So, no, it's not. <laughs> um, and certainly not like trying to game and stream at the same time. So, like, I remember one poor student bringing me her her MacBook that like kept overheating. <laughs> and I was like, okay, stop! Like, I don't want to ruin your you know fifteen hundred dollar computer or whatever this is. Right? <laughs> Um, I'm a PC person all the way personally, but <laughs> yes, go, go, but, um, you know, so, so that was kind of funny, but anyway, so it was really multidimensional in terms of what students could do. And it was really about giving them creative freedom to kind of experiment with this platform that was very new to them. Um, and so again, they had to, they had to stream, I think it was, we said like three hours a week or something, you know, keeping it pretty okay. minimal and, uh, they had to like journal about it every week you know, what went well, what was like challenging, you know, how's it going, right? How would you try and improve your viewership count like the following week? And unsurprisingly, right, a lot of them really struggled with viewers and and things like that, right? You know, starting as a small channel is very difficult, Um, you know, but they had fun with it. They had a lot of fun with it. And most of them like made some improvements and and a few of them, I think hit affiliate when the semester was over, which was like, which was actually pretty cool. the hilarious part about it, right? The big takeaway from the course at the end, I made them do presentations. You know, how'd your channel change over the course of the semester? Like, what were your your lessons you learned, right? And I asked all of them, you know, do you think you're going to keep doing this? Like, keep streaming after the class is over? <laughs> One student in a class of like 25 or whatever said they would keep doing it. Most of them were like, no offense. Dr. Warm, loved this, loved this experience. Thanks for thanks for letting us do this. But I am like never doing this again. <laughs> and, 
and it was and i'd say well why right and they were like it was fun but like they were like it was so much work yes um, it was so stressful mm -hmm. uh at times it was demoralizing <laughs> right like they would say you know it's depressing right it was just it was really tough and it was really cool because like i expected some of that but they connected to this on a really meaningful level right and they were mm -hmm. like we have such an appreciation now for what what people who do this for a living right they were like people do this for eight and ten hours a day they're like i can't do three hours a week right and i thought that was so awesome right i was like mm -hmm. i don't know if i you know rather than be like upset right i was like whatever like you know you're not beholden to me after this but i thought that was so cool that they're like no i actually tried this out and i have so much respect right for for that industry after this so that was that was really cool <laughs> And, and that is terrific, because I think you won't get a better like crash course in what these people, these individuals that you see on like the mainstreams like Ninja and XQC and all these other people out there who are big, big time streamers. You won't understand what they actually go through until you actually do it yourself. And on a small scale level, three hours a week, right? It doesn't seem that much, right? In comparison, when you actually go into it with a plan and trying to entertain your audience and, and you may not have an audience, but you still have to have that level of energy to kind of support whoever might be watching or who might just pop in and play the game. You have to play the game constantly on that and also uh, deliver and, and, and brand yourself as, uh, essentially. So it's really cool and neat that uh, they were able to experience that and be like, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. Cause but I do, res I do respect the industry and what those guys do because I think that's what a lot of people have a misconception about is that, oh, their job is easy. They sit around all day, eat whatever they want, drink whatever they want and play games all day. It's not the case. Um, I think, any streamer will tell you that, like, I, they wish they were the case, you know, and maybe it was that, that way when they started. But actually, when it becomes a business, it just becomes increasingly harder to support and to maintain a level of enthusiasm because it does get taxing. And uh, that's why I think a lot of uh, uh, brands and organizations have implemented nutritionists, have implemented uh, mental health guides, because it definitely takes a lot of toll on your mental and physical sometimes as well, sitting down all day. So that's really cool. That's really cool. And I, I think, um, we need more of that, right? We need more of the exposure just to have kids understand of all ages, how much the business industry goes through and how much of it is not as easy as it looks. Cause I think that really will help kids determine if they really want to pursue that for a career down the road. And so hopefully whoever is listening and watching right now, you can see from Stephanie's example that it's not that easy if you want to just go ahead and stream and make <laughs> thousands of dollars, you know, uh, all at once, right? It's, it takes some work and um, it's definitely achievable, but definitely takes some work. Yeah, well, because you mentioned too, Johnny, like, you know, mental health, it's funny because I'm gearing up to do this, um, this webinar, actually, for people who are therapists, um, and talking about the, the unique mental health challenges that esports players face. Because um, okay. that's something that if you work in, in a medical profession, right, in the mental health, you know, again, mm -hmm. if, if I have a patient who comes to me, who's like an esports competitor, whether that's a a pro or even like a college or high school student. And I'm like, what is these, like, what are they talking about, right? <laughs> so this webinar is like designed to, to introduce them a little bit to the industry and then talk about some of these challenges. And a lot of them are things you just identified with streaming, right? Like, you know, the grind of having to play the same game all the time. Mm -hmm. these, these competitors, they practice eight to 10 hours, 12 hours a day, right? Five to six days a week. Yeah. Uh, not to mention they're under intense pressure to perform at really elite levels, right? And it's, um, you know, if you look at interviews with players, they say a lot of the same stuff, right? Like, oh, when I signed on, like getting paid money to play games and live in a sweet like mansion, it sounds <laughs> awesome, right? Like sign me yep. up. And they very quickly realize like, oh, this is a job. And there's a lot more to it than kind of meets the eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tried streaming 
me, like me and John, we try streaming a little bit around the screen. Like we and who we stream is by yourself with no one to talk. It's hard. It is <laughs> hard because you like you got to keep talking, and it's, you're essentially talking to yourself. But you got to act like people are around you, and it is not easy. I remember one time. I, I, this is a clip. I will, it's probably gonna get posted on social media. I'll, I'll go over real quick. I was playing a game. I moved the show. Up to up to runs of the night. The guy hits it. It goes through the wall and it ties the game. And I lost my mind, but I had no one to hear me. And I felt like, what am I supposed? I'm just yeah. And by the way, another I'm by my window where I, where I stream. So people are seeing me go crazy, and I'm like, whoa, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, let's talk about uh, another thing you very you focus on um, a lot. Why do you feel you, you're you're very big on diversity in sports with with females and people of other uh, ethnicities? Uh, all, all over the place. Why do you feel like though, uh, there's a certain group of people lack opportunities based on their ethnicity and gender? And how does and how does that happen? Yeah, yeah. Um, if I heard the question right, sorry. It was it was why do the why do some people lack those opportunities? Yeah, why 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 are people putting themselves? Yeah. In? Sometimes you don't even see their face. You don't even know who's behind. Like, why does that matter? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's interesting. You know, one of the things that I've looked at in my own research on games is the question of access. Right. So, mm. you know, do you have or did you have access to gaming at different stages in your life? Right. So just to take gender, right, is where a lot of my work has, has laid. Um, you know, I've looked at uh, the differences between young girls and young boys and uh, the nature of access to gaming they had growing up. Right. So I grew up I was like a 90s kid. Right. So, uh, you know, I have have vivid recollection of that time period. And in the 90s, you know, is when gaming really started to be marketed towards young male audiences. Right. It's kind of the target demographic. So there weren't um, you know, you didn't really hear about women playing games and they certainly weren't featured in advertising or in, in mm -hmm. gaming magazines, which were really popular in the 90s. Um, and uh, in interviews that I've done with people, you know, a lot of girls talked about, you know, I didn't have my own console growing up, right? Like my brother had a console yeah. and sometimes I could play it, but it was always like the brother's console, right? <laughs> and, um, and I thought that was really interesting to me, right? And so something I've done in, in a lot of my studies is, is try and track the, the lasting impacts of that, right? Like you have women who said like, well, I might've been more into games, right? If I had more exposure to it when I was younger, you know, they end up playing when they're older, you know, a boyfriend or a friend or somebody introduces them to it and they're like, this is awesome, right? But, you know, for various reasons, they they didn't have access to it, you know, in their homes. Um, in addition to gender, right, income is a big part of that, right? So I've, I've you know, talked to people who grew up in, in lower income households where, yeah, like a, a gaming console just wasn't something you grow up with, right? So maybe their whole exposure to gaming was, you know, through a friend, right, who maybe, you know, did own a console. Um, one of the cool ways this is changing a little bit is is through mobile games. Um, a lot of the research uh, says that, um, well, the main research says that actually uh, among de different demographics, when it comes to mobile games, uh, the highest population of people who play them are actually non-white. It tends to be Black and Latinx groups. Uh, so, so mobile phones being more, you know, widely accessible, right? If you think mm -hmm. about it, it makes sense, right? When you buy yeah. a gaming console, it's like primarily this is a 500 thing that I'm, you know, playing video games on, uh, you know, a smartphone, it, it serves hundreds of purposes, right? It's, <laughs> it's like a mini computer. It does so yeah. much more. Right. 
Uh, and it was kind of the same deal with the PC, like they the first home PCs in the nineties, right? Like mm. a lot of, a lot of homes, not everybody, right. But, but more homes had them than game consoles because the PC was also like your parents worked on it, right. You typed mm -hmm. papers, you know, those kinds of things. Right. So it's, um, there's a lot, right. There's so much that, that I think can go into that. And it creates a pretty complex picture, right. Of, um, of again, like who's given those opportunities and who's maybe, uh, maybe not as much, right? So there's part of it. Like that's something I could we could keep going <laughs> down the rabbit hole for sure. A lot. There's a lot to say about that. <laughs> have you have you have you dealt with, like have you dealt with it yourself? You said you mentioned it with, like with your with siblings and stuff like that. Have you have you dealt with it in other in other areas? And also, do you see it in your classes? Like do you see like do you see that demographic serving to do you see that issue in your class? Like are there a lot of guys other than girls? Like how like what goes through your mind in those situations? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Yeah. When I was growing up, so I was the oldest of three. Um, so I actually got to kind of lead the way with that, which was cool. Uh, my brother also played games. He's four years younger than me. My sister is nine years younger than me. Um, and she's like a huge nerd, just like me. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of cool. Like my whole, you know, we're, we're a trio of nerds, which I know is not typical of many people's families. So um, yeah, I felt lucky because I was the oldest and, you know, I was playing consoles with my dad. I like always had some access to that. Um, as I got older, I had a PC in my room and that kind of stuff. So my particular experience was lots of exposure to video games. Um, and my parents didn't really <laughs> at all censor like our media consumption. Um, <laughs> so, some people, sorry, mom, dad. Some people's parents were like, you know, no rated R movies. And like, I was watching like everything like <laughs> that I probably shouldn't have watched when I was very young. Right. But um, a lot of people who I've talked to, you know, again, like uh, young girls found that they were really discouraged from partaking in those kinds of things. Whereas they found their brothers, it was like totally fine and, and stuff like that. Right. So there's interesting kind of gender dynamics at play there um in terms of of the classroom something that's been really cool to observe i've taught gaming classes now since 2014 so like five or six years probably right mm -hmm. um and i remember the first time i taught what it was a 120 person big lecture class Ooh. um there were five women in that class that first semester Oh. Uh, yeah, so it was 125, or excuse me, 115 men, right, and five women, which didn't totally surprise me, right? Um, and I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, you know, and then the following semester, there were like 10 women, right? So I was like, all right, we're doing a little bit better. And I, I think I taught, I taught that class for a total of four semesters, just back to back, right? And each year, that that margin shrank a little bit right it was still very you know still male dominated right but i think think by the end i had 30 35 women which nice. you know, going from like five yeah right like that's pretty significant yeah. so i was like that's pretty cool right um and i don't know how much of it is just you know first of all that gaming is becoming a little more mainstream right mm -hmm. and and appealing to different types of audiences which is certainly something the, the industry is, is pushing towards um and i didn't know how much of it was was my presence um because i think there's something about so i was the first woman instructor who ever taught that course they had taught that course for a long long time it was created by a a male faculty member who retired it was then taught by a handful of male grad students 
you know, who also researched games. And then when they would graduate, then I came along. But I was told I was I was the first woman to ever teach that course, which was like kind of cool and sad. But anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as, as these things often are, right? Uh, and I was like, huh, you know, so I feel like there's something, you know, if I'm a female student and I'm I'm interested in something that I know is really male dominated, but I see someone right? Or, you know, anybody who shares my gender identity or my racial identity or whatever. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's like a safe space for me, right? Or maybe that's a space where I feel welcome. And I don't want to like take too much credit for that, but I think, I think that can matter, right? And then likewise at, at other schools, right? Smaller schools I've been at, um, the gap is, is much smaller, but the classes are also much smaller. So it's kind of like hard to say exactly, mm -hmm. but um, I want to say in my gaming class of the manual I taught in the fall, it was were there more women? I think there were more women. I think, yeah, there were three guys in that class. It was a smaller class. I think there were 12, but it was three men uh, in the class. So again, that was kind of interesting. And the manual mm -hmm. is more, more female populated as a school. Okay. Um, yeah. So that, you know, it, that makes a difference too. But, um, but yeah, I, I feel like overall the trend has been diversifying the students who are in those classes more, right? And as a comparison, we see this in a lot of STEM courses as well. So computer science courses, right? Now having more gender diversity than they did even like 10 years ago, right? So I think this is all kind of part of a larger cultural shift, right? In balancing out gender and technology kind of, kind of more broadly. But that's an awesome question, yeah. Let's go, go on. <laughs> <laughs> But I think, uh, but seriously, I think that's a, I think the reason why I think that's a kudos to you, because I think uh, not many people Absolutely. are willing to like lend that hand to other people and be like, hey, come along. Like, I think they're just like, hey, I'm doing this. Want to come along the ride? Come on. But if you don't, that's your thing. And I think, and I think that's the big, like, that's why I get like, that's why I give you a, a lot of props because you're like, we need, we need this. Like, you guys need to be all, we need, we need to be all together. We need everyone to have the equal opportunity. I think but it's great what you're doing, but what? <laughs> what can what can the gaming world do like what can we do as people that are invested into it? what can the game developers do and is there like a is there a goal like what 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 do you think can be done yeah i mean are we talking in terms of diversity or yeah, yeah. oh boy um <laughs> where do we start <laughs> the best way you possibly can uh i know it's like a we can talk for like hours on the subject of diversity within the East yeah industry, but yeah the best way you possibly can put it uh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think one of the big things is is more representation, right? And diversification, okay. like of the industry. Um, and this is this is not like a radical idea, right? This is something people have been trying to advance for, for a couple of decades, just in game development, right? As a whole, you know, esports is a bit younger, but I think we're also seeing that push. Um, you know, you look at esports and it's you know, there's a lot of sameness kind of running, uh, mm -hmm. you know, across especially team rosters, right? Uh, heavily male dominated, right? Tend to be from select regions throughout the globe, things like that. Uh, and I think a lot of it starts with giving uh, underrepresented, underrepresented genders, races and ethnicities, right? Uh, just opportunities to participate in that in, in ways that aren't just like behind the scenes production necessarily, right? Um, so sometimes that means, you know, I, so I get asked a lot, you know, like, should there be like female only tournaments and stuff like that? Right. <laughs> and this is, it's sort of a double-edged sword kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Because on one hand, like, I think that's great. Right. Those spaces are important for giving women safe opportunities, you know, a safe space, um, mm -hmm. to have some of these opportunities. Right. Um, not worrying about harassment based on gender and things like that. But at the same time, 
you know, how much does that then continue to sort of isolate those individuals yep. right? and, and create separation when ideally what I think we'd want is for an equal playing stage where Inclusion. Yeah. exactly right. You yeah. know, women, non-binary individuals, whoever, right, are playing alongside male identifying players as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I don't want to say that I think female tournaments are, are bad, right? Because um, I don't. Again, I think there's merit to that. But uh, again, I think what we want to push for is sort of inclusivity all around, right? Now, that's a <laughs> it's a easier said than done kind of thing. Yes. Like, how? What are the steps to actually obtaining that? I mean, I think one of the big things for me is creating. Uh, welcoming and affirming tournament environments, right? Like you as, as tournament organizers, you know, have to take a really hard stance on things like harassment, right? Like if there are, you know, marginalized genders represented at your tournament and someone is harassing them, what do you do about it, right? Like mm -hmm. what is actually the consequence? So I think a lot of it comes about, you know, having, having codes of conduct and having rules and then enforcing and following through on those things and making people feel safe, right? And feeling welcome in those spaces. And I think that's, for me, that's that's a starting point, right? Because I think it's easier, you know, once, again, once you're able to see people like you in a space succeeding, it signals to other people, hey, this is a viable thing I can do and more people are encouraged to join. I think like we're still at that phase where, you know, for women, for example, there's, there's still so few elite women esports competitors that we see mainstream right? That it, it still feels like this barrier that's really scary, right? That's really intimidating. What advice do you have for kids in general who haven't reached college yet, but want to get involved in streaming? Like you mentioned, like you do classes on esports or some effect, like what advice do you have for them to get that head start? For them before they Again, you feel right? Research, right? Research within the industry and see how you can progress and, and, and kind of not in your role exactly, but kind of lead in the follow steps of like education to esports. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's there's ever such a thing as like too soon to kind of start getting, you know, a, a leg up on it on the industry. Um, I think, again, what's one of the really cool things about streaming, for example, is how accessible, like relatively accessible it is. Right. Um, now, again, not everybody has like a, a PC with like, you know, expensive streaming equipment or whatever like mm -hmm. that. But I think even if you're in high school and you just kind of want to like try it out and get a feel for it. Again, I had kids doing it on like kind of potato laptops. Right? It wasn't like <laughs> the best experience, but they still got a taste of it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and they were able to say like, oh, I kind of like this or like mm, not for me. Right. And then maybe you decide whether or not it's worth the investment kind of going forward. Right. Um, something that I'm starting to see more of that's, that I love are the idea of like these public or community like maker spaces, if y'all are familiar with those. So like um, sometimes they're in libraries oftentimes or like here in the Boston area uh, where we're like really trendy on tech and stuff. We have got like <laughs> dedicated buildings, but they're open to like teens and young adults to come in and use like 3D printers or oh, um, awesome. use like, yeah, sound editing software and video production equipment that they may not have access to in their homes, mm -hmm. but it's giving them like free access to these resources. Uh, and I love stuff like that. And I'd love wow. to see more of that, especially for like, again, lower income students who, who don't have these things at home, but to have a place to, to get some of that experience, right? Which I think is really awesome. Um, and I would say too, even if you can't stream from a PC, you know, consoles, I think have made that that barrier to entry a little oh, yeah, easier. Yeah. yeah, you can like just hit the share button on PS4 and boom, like you're up and <laughs> right? And it, again, it's not maybe the, like your ideal setup, but it's mm -hmm. it's a way to get to some start. of that experience. Yeah. It's not 
exactly especially if you're younger right so i think that's you know that's one way to kind of go about it um you know i think for for uh students who might be interested in in careers you know if it's the research aspect or things like that um there are so many podcasts and and uh you know youtube videos and things out there now that do things like look at the psychology of video games or the social effects of games or you know dissect parts of the industry that are like free and just out there that you can check out you know at any time um some of them might be you know a little above your heads at a certain level but <laughs> Uh, you know, especially if you're like, you know, thinking about college and that sort of stuff, it might be kind mm -hmm. of a good, good entry point. Um, but yeah, my thing is like, just consume as much esports media as you can. Um, because if you're interested in a career in esports, like the more you know about the industry as a whole, and the more you understand teams and these different leagues and all the stuff you can wrap your head around, you know, the better off you're, you're going to be kind of jumping in, you know, once you get to classes or, or things like that. Especially like, what do you think is the future of Essentially, what you do—you're—you're—you're you're, you're a professor at uh, Emmanuel College. You work at—you work at the National Communication Association, and you work at—you uh, you do work for the Esports Research Network. What do you think is the future of all those aspects? If you could put it into that. Yeah, um, this is an exciting time to be part of esports. <laughs> anyone, anyone doing it will tell you that. Like, this is kind of the time, um, and it's wild because it's—it's it's taken off so quickly um you know esports i always i always say like the idea of competitive gaming isn't new we've been doing that since like the arcade era even a little bit before that if you really mm -hmm. want to get technical right but kind of contemporary esports as we know it has really taken off here in the states in like the last 10 years right but the the whole high school college scene push has come in like the last five or six and it's happening at this like astoundingly rapid pace and for me like it's really cool to be involved in in helping shape some of that, at least like within my local community here in Boston. Um, you know, so my role is is at Emanuel, part of what I'm uh, tasked with doing is, is starting Emanuel's first esports team. That's gonna be, you know, I'll be spending the next few years hopefully trying to trying to ramp up that program and get that going as well as introducing some more kind of gaming curriculum there. Um, and then building partnerships with a bunch of Boston's great. We have a whole bunch of esports teams that already kind of exist, right? So mm -hmm. it's it's you know expanding that network and kind of seeing what we can build together. Like there's you know there's been talk of having like some kind of Boston league or things like that, which would be really Ooh. cool. So so that's kind of what's like immediately on the horizon with that. Um, yeah, uh, like I said, NCA. You know, every year we host a conference and we're pushing out you know gaming research uh, and, and presenting that stuff, and it's. Um, I hope to see more esports scholarship kind of venture that. Um, again, we have a handful of people who do that uh, within that broader umbrella. So I hope to see kind of more work done in that realm because I think it, it is really important. Um, and that's ultimately, again, part of the goal of the, the esports research network, right? So um, this is our first like full year in operation, I want to say. Um, we were technically founded in 2019, but like long story short, this is basically our first year. And, um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, a big part of our mission, again, is, is reaching out to other researchers and, and hearing about what they're doing and opening up spaces for conversation about, you know, improving the industry and giving people opportunities and educating them about esports. Um, I'm actually on a podcast with a co-host uh, from Sweden, and, you know, we share esports research that people are actually doing. Um, so again, I think for us, it's about continuing sort of our mission of, of educating and networking 
And uh, we're hoping once COVID stuff kind of wears down, you know, doing some cool partnerships with like ESL and getting involved with DreamHack and, and some connections we have sort of abroad uh, with, with major, you know, industry players. So, so yeah, that's, you know, there's a lot, that's just in my little world. There's a whole lot, a whole lot going beyond that. Um, but yeah, I really think like this is, this is the time to really be involved in this because it's, there's so much growth and it's happening so quickly. Um, and, and no, I don't know if anybody really knows exactly where it's going to be 10 years from now. It's kind of wild. And that's the beauty <laughs> of it, right? Like who knows? And we're just along for the ride. So it's, it's sounds like it's going to be a wild one because esports is just continuing to grow. Like you said, uh, at immense rates and I'm happy to be a part of it right now and make a little history along the way. Totally. Yep, definitely. Well, Stephanie, this has been a phenomenal interview. Uh, it, it, we, we, we had some little technical issues getting, making it happen, but we were able to make it happen. Uh, it was, it's been a phenomenal interview. Like I really look forward to this interview because it brings such a unique and important value to the esports world and it's such a pivotal and important thing for people to know about. And I'm glad you were able to come on the podcast and tell People, all, the people and the students that we have coming up in our program all about it. So thank you so much for coming along. Thank yes. you so much for having me. This is such a great conversation. Tell, yeah, it really was. Tell, tell the people where they can find you. Just every, anyway, just tell them all. Where yeah. They can find you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like I'm pretty easily Googleable these days, but uh, yeah. I'm on. There's <laughs> not because I, there's two people in my time of doing the fight. When we do research, there's two people that when I've looked up. I can actually see a picture on Google. It's you and Kurt Russell. That's it. Like, <laughs> have to go deep. Like I look it up and it shows up. Like, okay, we actually got something here. <laughs> oh man, that's kind of horrifying. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so my Twitter is. I'm very active on Twitter, um, posting both academic things and also some random whatever whatever video game I'm playing. I'm usually like offering commentary on that as I go. Um, but that's basically my name. So it's at Stephanie uh, Orm. Just all one thing. Um, I'd say that's probably the best way. Um, my email, if people like want to drop me a line or have questions about things specifically, I'm like always happy to, to chat about career development stuff. Um, that is O-R-M-E-S at emmanuel.edu. So it's just my last name and then S. Uh, and yeah, I'd say those are probably the best ways to go about it. I'm on LinkedIn too. I, you can Google my name. <laughs> I never know the best way to share that, but yeah. Yeah, and for the kids that are listening to our career, don't if you wanna if you ever find an opportunity, get into Emmanuel College and then you'll get to meet stuff. <laughs> so that'll do it for this edition of the Reaching and Teaching Podcast presented by CEI. This is our career day, and we really hope you guys enjoy it and take something with it. And hopefully you guys can see you kids in the student world someday as well. And also there's a there's uh, we also have other people of other ages listening. We hope that maybe you can get in the student world as well or the educational esports world as well. So Thank you so much, uh, Stephanie, and take care, guys. Bye.